so the idea of belonging, especially when you think about top companies, there's an investment into talent, right? There is an investment into the folks who work there in them being able to grow, for them to be able to learn, to develop, to be promoted, to be recognized for the work that they're doing. Those things are critical. And so the idea of belonging is critical to the culture, right? This idea of growth mindset comes in, I think, when you're looking at leaders and their approach. That's going to be important too, because typically leaders are seasoned. They've been doing things for many, many years, decades even. And so being able to have a growth mindset is being open to know that change and innovation is important and valuable part of their strategies, right? And so young people, millennials also want to come in and understand that their leaders are thinking about things in that capacity, that they're not rigid, that they're open to things to change, to shift, to be new, to be innovative. Hello, everyone. This is Jolene May, your host for the Diversity Podcast, where we talk with real people doing real work in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging space. If you want to explore what people are doing right, what positive impacts are happening, or even how positive changes can be done, you're in the right place. We welcome you to join us. Today, we have Bernita Dillard with us. Bernita is the global head of DEI recruiting enablement at DoorDash. She is passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and is an expert in talent acquisition and creating inclusive hiring practices. Bernita is a change agent with 10 plus years of experience in revolutionizing hiring and talent management programs to attract and retain top diverse talent. She has dedicated her work to creating inclusive work environments to ensure underrepresented groups have equal access to career opportunities. Bernita has many achievements in the space. A few include that she increased hiring of underrepresented talent by 700% through the launch of data-driven local talent acquisition programs while working at Facebook and being named one of the untapped top 100 DEIB leaders of 2022. She has been described as a superstar, irreplaceable, and has an amazing thirst for knowledge and success. Lastly, she loves to travel. So welcome, Bernita. Thank you so much. Excited to be here and share more about myself. I'm excited to learn about you, learn from you and your perspective and your approach. So let's start with you. So tell us about yourself and your journey into this space. I'm curious to hear about that. Well, a little about me that you don't necessarily hear in my intro or in my bio is that I was raised by my aunt in a little city called East Palo Alto here in California. And she was an activist, an advocate. She was a part of the Black Panther movement and just really used her voice to lend it to the underrepresented, was an advocate for like planting trees, going to the city council, asking for the things that the community needed in order to ensure that it was a better place. And so I just grew up around that and learning from her, which really sparked my joy and my interest in building community and advocating for folks who need a voice. I love that. So it really comes from your roots, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. So something I heard from you when we were prepping for this podcast is I heard the passion that you have in finding your tribe. So I want to hear about that. And I'm going to add a little caveat here. I also heard you talking to me a little bit about like you're breaking into tech. So first, if you can tell me more about, you know, what finding your tribe means to you and then adding that layer of what meant for you to break into tech too. Those are two completely separate things. I'm happy to answer what finding my tribe means, but it's totally different context than breaking into tech. But as far as finding my tribe, I think people need to find their tribe no matter what industry they're in, no matter what type of work they do, but really having a one, a board of directors. So 
people who you go to, who you admire, who've been been the places that you've been. Some folks will call them mentors. Other folks will call them advocates, sponsors, et cetera. But essentially having a group of folks that you can bounce ideas off of, people who are comfortable being honest with you, people who are comfortable letting you know when you may have showed up in a way that you didn't intend to, people who are comfortable letting you know where your shortcomings are. Also people who are good with celebrating your success and your wins and being able to watch you on this journey. So you need that board of directors. In addition to that, you also need the people who are going through the trenches with you. So like being able to network across, but having that group of folks that are experiencing the same things that you're experiencing, going the same places that you want to go in a comfortable, safe space. So talking to people, working with people, building this community of folks where you can be completely transparent about what it is that you know, what you don't know, where you can ask for advice, you can ask for different things that you need and also just share, right? So having that safe space is really critical. Again, no matter what company you're in, no matter where you're working, no matter what you're doing, but having that allows for you to release stress and be able to show up well and to thrive. And so those things are critically important. And for me coming into spaces, especially within large companies, it was always important for me to find my people. And I've done that through employee resource groups. So finding my tribe, finding my people is like, hey, I'm going to join the women at group at this particular company, or I'm going to join the black at group at this particular company and really lean in, meet people, know people, grow with folks so that I can thrive in that environment. So that's really, really important to me. As far as breaking into tech, so being in tech, I worked in for a insurance company. I've also worked in nonprofit. I've partnered with government agencies. So essentially breaking into tech, I didn't know anyone, right? I know a lot of people kind of really talk about referrals and they talk about different things in that regard. But I saw a post on LinkedIn and felt like I had transferable skills and that I was passionate about the role. And essentially, I just applied and through the interview process, really connected the dots for the interviewers around how the things that they needed and what they wanted, how my former experience really translated into that, though I didn't have the exact background that was listed on the resume, I'm listed on the job description. And then they felt like I was a good match. And that's essentially how I broke into tech. Sounds good. Thanks for that. Yeah. Going back to finding your tribe, I just wanted to reflect back on I heard a lot of great things and I kind of heard, you know, the melding of like having a safe space and a growth mindset all in one. And, you know, also I heard like growing together in what you said too. So that was really nice to hear. I'm personally really interested to learn about talent acquisition from your point of view. So before we go into that topic though, because I came into this while I was speaking to you, I think it's important and relevant to discuss the difference and connection between recruitment and talent acquisition. So can you outline that for us first? Sure. Well, with recruitment, people who identify as sourcers and recruiters, they're actually doing the operational work around getting talent into a process for a specific rec and role. When you think of talent acquisition as a whole, it's going to include that component. In addition to that, it's also going to include the strategy. It's going to include the programs. It's going to include the events. It's going to include all things that are related to talent and acquiring the talent, including the recruiting process, but outside of the recruiting process. Thank you. I just thought that was relevant to discuss first before we went into it. So on that note, like, what do you strive for? What's your personal mission with your work in talent acquisition? So my personal mission is always to serve the underrepresented and provide access to opportunity. So that's been a mission of mine that is probably consistent through every role I've ever had. 
is really being able to focus on providing access to opportunity. Sounds good. What are some ways, if you could give an example, that you are increasing access since you were bringing that up in that response? So as a part of my work, it's to build strategy, looking at data, analyzing data and making recommendations on a strategic approach to acquiring underrepresented talent. And within that work that is providing access, right? Being able to bring the talent team to the talent, being able to bring the talent to the teams essentially is providing access. That's awesome. So with talking about data, what are some ways that you like Can you give an example that you're looking at the data that was like, oh, this is interesting and you used it to inform your strategy? So I can't share specific examples of ways that I analyze data because they're for privacy reasons for the companies that I work for. But in general, approaching data from a strategic capacity and being able to use it to inform strategy or make recommendations, you're really analyzing a funnel, right? So when you think about recruiting, you're always going to look at it through the lens of the hiring funnel, top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom of funnel. At top of funnel, you're looking at who do we have in funnel? Who are we sourcing? Who's applying and being able to look at that information? And then how does that go to the next phase, which is the actual interview process, right? So you're looking at how people matriculate through that process. And then finally, it's like, does this person receive an offer? If they received an offer, did we close them? That's the bottom of funnel. So again, you have top of funnel, which is the finding of the talent, mid funnel, which is getting the talent interviewed, right? And assessing their skill set to see if they're viable for the role that you need to fill. And then finally, the bottom of funnel, which is giving them an offer and hopefully they'll accept that particular offer, right? So that's the full phase of the funnel. And when you're looking at it from my perspective, you're looking and analyzing where are their gaps? Where are their opportunities? Are we seeing fall off at one specific point versus another point? Do we see more fall off at top? Do we see more fall off at bottom? And looking at that, you can analyze and figure out where you see the gaps. And then make recommendations for programs, initiatives, or policy changes that are related to that. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And I'm learning more about you from like the top of funnel, mid funnel, and end of funnel. So that's helpful to break down. Okay, so my next question is, how do you think the Great Resignation has affected how businesses may have reassessed their talent acquisition strategy? That's a good question. I think it's going to depend on the organization, right? So for organizations who are hiring still and still growing, I think that they have access to a lot more talent on the market that's available for them. And so they can really be strategic in being able to acquire that talent because the talent is open and ready to work. I think for other organizations, they're looking at what's going on within the trends of their own business and being able to make decisions for that business based on their revenue, ensuring that the business is going to continue to be able to maintain. And so with that, I think that they're just evaluating that. And I don't think it has anything to do with their talent acquisition strategy because the reality is that even with them laying off folks, they're going to still have to hire because other people will still quit, right? There's going to be attrition. There's going to be roles to fill. And then I think at some point they will reevaluate depending, you know, six months, 12 months to hire again. And so they'll evaluate differently at that time. Makes sense. Interesting. Okay. And I think also on and talking about great resignation, I think that the concepts of belonging and growth mindset are spoken about even more and maybe even interconnected ways in recent years. Like what's your take on this and how this link might play a role in what talent and teammates are looking for or looking at when considering to join an organization? I think it is definitely key things that people are looking for, especially millennials and Gen Z. Like they don't mind quitting, right? They want to find a place where they can grow, where they can thrive, 
where they feel like they can be their authentic self. And those things are critically important. And when they get to an organization and that's not the experience that they're having, they're out, right? So the idea of belonging, especially when you think about top companies, there's an investment into talent, right? There is an investment into the folks who work there in them being able to grow, for them to be able to learn, to develop, to be promoted, to be recognized for the work that they're doing. Those things are critical. And so the idea of belonging is critical to the culture, right? This idea of growth mindset comes in, I think, when you're looking at leaders and their approach. That's going to be important too, because typically leaders are seasoned. They've been doing things for many, many years, decades even. And so being able to have a growth mindset is being open to know that change and innovation is important and valuable part of their strategies, right? And so young people, millennials also want to come in and understand that their leaders are thinking about things in that capacity, that they're not rigid, that they're open to things to change, to shift, to be new, to be innovative. And so those things really impact the culture of the company, which also impacts the brand of the company. And that's when people decide, like, do I want to come here or do I not? Yeah. And on that note, what are some ways, if you have any, that you would suggest like to display that to potential talent? Yeah, I think that they have to do the work as opposed to displaying the work. So that's one. Can that be displayed through their marketing and their branding? Sure. So, you know, as they have people sit on panels, as they sponsor different events, as they have people coming in, like those things will come about as people talk about their company, right? So like you look at different articles online, you see people you know, on Glassdoor writing about the organizations in which they work for. So when you actually have a culture that is a culture of belonging, a a culture of growth mindset, it's shown through the employees. And that's how that can be marketed through their employer brand and recruitment marketing. Definitely makes sense. Okay, let's jump to inclusive hiring practices. So first, what biases do you think can creep in during the hiring process? And what were some ways that you've seen it mitigated? So there's so many different types of bias that can kind of creep in. One of the things that kind of come to mind is the like me bias when interviewing, right? So typically when we meet people that are similar to us, you have this instant connection with them, right? And that instant connection sometimes can alter how we feel about that particular, like evaluating them through an interview process, right? So like, oh my goodness, I can. Like they have the potential to do this. They have the potential to do that. You're almost giving them the benefit of the doubt because they are like you, right? And you definitely want to mitigate that because in an interview process, you want them to show examples of how they've been able to execute on the work so that you can actually evaluate the work that they've done as opposed to the potential of what they have and what they can do. So that's one of the ways. And I think another way is going to be education bias, right? So Someone comes in and they're like, oh, you know, I went to Stanford, I went to MIT, they went to these top five schools. You automatically think, oh my goodness, they're smart, right? But actually, are you evaluating their skill set? Because yes, they can be smart, but so can someone who went to a state school or a smaller private school or a liberal arts school. And so it's a natural thing. So it's not that someone is doing something wrong, but it does need to be checked so that they're evaluating everybody equitably. And it can be checked through training, right? Training and development. So I notice a lot of companies these days definitely have managing bias, mitigating bias as a part of their offerings to their organizations so that they can make people aware of the fact that, yes, we all have bias. And this is how you check this in an interview process. Yeah, definitely. I like that you brought in the 
the training piece, because that was going to be my following question too. So you answered that right there. So I've also seen that you look at geographical information to inform your strategy. So tell me about how that works and how you've done that. Sure. So I use a program called Talent Neuron and Talent Neuron captures a lot of information, a lot of geographic information around talent and where they're located and the different backgrounds that they have. And that informs how I would recommend a team to source, right? So like if we're, we need talent in this particular area, then we know that, that we have a space in the country or geographic location that may be untapped and we can tap that work and we can tap that particular area in order to find talent. So we've talked about sourcing. We've talked about inclusive hiring practices and biases. Next, I want to talk about retention. So what key factors have you seen in your strategy directly impact new employee retention rates? Great question. I don't actually work on retention, right? So I work on talent acquisition. Retention is more so something that a HRBP or diversity business partner, and HRBP stands for human resource business partner. So a HRBP or diversity BP would actually work on. So I focus on the fine side. They would focus on the grow, keep, retain side. And so that's something that they would work on. But just from my perspective as an employee in an organization, some of the things that I think are important when it comes to actually retaining employees is employee resource groups. Like that's a critical point for people to, as I spoke to earlier, really be able to find their tribe, build community and feel like they belong, right? So that's one critical component. Another component would be pay equity, really ensuring that across the board, people are getting paid the same for the work that they are doing. And there's no disparity in that regard. Another thing would be promotion equity. People want to come and work for organizations where they feel like they can grow their careers, they can build their careers, they can continue to develop, and that they're recognized for their hard work. So those are some of the things that I would say are important when you think about retention. But again, that's not necessarily my expertise. Yeah, short, sweet, and to the point. I like it. So last question in regards to talent acquisition. How would you continue challenging organizations in tech in their talent acquisition strategy? Well, one, I don't think that every organization approaches things in the same capacity, nor do I think that every organization believes the same thing. I do think that organizations use a lot of the same structure, right? A lot of the same strategy, but I don't think that they have the same values as it relates to the work. So I personally don't think there's a status quo, personally. I think that, again, each organization is approaching it with a different value system with the goal to increase to ensure that their companies have the best possible talent and are building the best possible tools, services, and products for their organizations, right? I think that leaders across the board definitely want their organizations to reflect their user base because they're going to get more users. So I would say that maybe something that I would challenge just industry-wide is just, you know, I do hear people talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion as a feel-good thing or as a it's the right thing to do. But the reality is it's a business imperative. The more studies have shown that the more diverse teams are from leadership all the way down to the operational folks who are doing the work, they perform and outperform their peers, right? So they perform better and they outperform their peers. So that's one thing that's been proven and studies definitely show that. And then two, if you don't have it, you're going to be behind the curve. So it's just a business imperative at this point. And I would probably challenge folks as they talk about it, it's just as important as sales, just as important as marketing, just as important as all the different areas of the organization. And so I guess maybe that's something that I would challenge folks to think through. All right. Well, thank you. It's time to 
end this conversation. So our last question, if you could tell us about an experience you had where you witnessed maybe even a small change enable a positive outcome at work. One of the biggest, I know you said a small thing, but one of the biggest things I think that I've experienced is really the openness, right? I think some of the beauty, and maybe that's why I'm just like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about things, but some of the beauty in the work that I've done is that I've been able to pitch things to the highest levels of the organization. And they're like, let's do it. Let's try it. Let's navigate it. Let's figure it out. Like, No one has all the answers. I don't have all the answers. We have people who've been doing this work for 20, 30, 40 years that don't have all the answers. But I think one of the most critical things is really being open. And with that, I would say that one of my career highlights was some of the work that I did around really connecting the year up organization and Facebook and being able to build out the on-campus learning and development center. And that was critical because it touched so many lives and continues to touch lives and I'm not even there anymore. And really being able to change people's trajectory, providing the access to opportunity that I spoke about before, and really giving people an opportunity to prove themselves, right? And that was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience to come into an organization, be able to pitch something, get investment, get buy-in, try it out, allow for them to believe in me, execute on it. And it's phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. Well, I love how we started with finding your tribe and we ended with growth. So thank you for joining us today. I enjoyed learning from you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to explore how we can enable diversity at work. Follow us and get notified of our latest episodes. Also, we want to hear from you. Please like, rate, and review us on your podcast app or wherever you're listening in. If you want to contact us, please visit diverseek.com. That is D-I-V-E-R-S-E-E-K.com. This episode was produced by Madhu Nair, edited by Jonathan Dalek, researched by Jolene May, music composed by Nicholas Lang, and our production team includes Keisha Williams, Prashant Balbar, and Maria Corina. I am your host, Jolene May, and you have been listening to Diverse Seek.